Hey, what's up? We're back with another podcast, and this time I'm talking with Mr. Adrian Byrne. Mr. Byrne is a six-degree black belt. He coaches Anna Shannon Taekwondo, has produced multiple world and European champions. He is heavily involved with the Irish national team as a coach there and a former head coach. He's also involved with the TKD Coach Academy, who we are very familiar with here. Um, this time we talk about you know his journey through Taekwondo, why he got involved. Uh, we talk coaching, both you know from a practical point of view and a theoretical point of view. Um, the national team comes into it a little bit, um, and yeah, just a whole a whole wealth of information. It's a really interesting conversation. Um, I hope you're getting good value out of these and you're enjoying them. If you are, give us a like and a share and a subscribe and all of that. Cool. Talk to you soon. Stay safe. There we go. Cool. And we're in. So, Mr. Byrne, how are you doing? Good to see you. Good to chat to you. Thanks for taking the time to meet with me and talk Taekwondo. Absolutely. Anytime. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we were only sort of chatting offline before there that, you know, things are uh, different now in the Taekwondo world and the whole world. So, um, I suppose, how how are you coping with it as a club and as an instructor and stuff like that? That's the first question, I suppose, everyone. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's, it's that question of can you make a pivot? Can you, like, the biggest thing for us right now is, I think it's twofold. The first thing is, well, what can we do to reinforce our community? So we have a club, the club has been in existence for, uh, you know, quite a number of years. I've been the coach in the club uh, in Shannon, you know, 21 years now there, you're nearly 22 years. Um, and, you know, we're looking at, well, if things go terribly over the next few months, maybe there's no club there at the end of that. So, you know, facing into that, it's a challenge of like, how do you come together as a community and make things continue? And then from the point of view of being a coach and you still have people to coach, even if they're training situation is challenged it's like okay well how are we now going to support people in their in their training so we're like the first week or so has been figuring out almost what we're going to try to do that mm-hmm. and now it's well okay let's let's roll that stuff out and try it so we've you know between myself and richie with take one coach academy we've put together a couple of youtube videos we've been putting up some instagram posts tips yeah i've seen them they're really cool and it's really it's, you know but they how to provide actual coaching value um you know to people remotely is going to be the the trick so we have some things we want to try and that's really all it is we we're, we're not sure that anyone has this figured you know mhm mhm uh, go ahead sorry it's it's a, it's an interesting one i've noticed the same you know and it's like we've been very kind of quiet on social media recently over the past few months. Uh, but now it's sort of like we felt, okay, we need to be really active and really get, you know, involved in the, the clubs uh, live and the people that are dependent on us and also, you know, the wider community. So, I mean, stuff like this podcast or this, you know, or the, we ran a live class on Instagram today just to yeah. see what it was like. And I mean, it was literally, it's a strange feeling teaching to a camera when you're just running technical movements because you can't give feedback. You can't, you know, there's no stimulus. It's just, you're, you're kind of just training and people are just watching you and hopefully they're following along. You and know you know what? Finally, it, 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 I said there, there's a quick slant into coaching and it's like, well, coaching without the student isn't coaching. You know, that's the, you know, mm-hmm. that, that's what we're, we're stuck with. We're, we're feeling weird because we're, we're, we're kind of just lecturing at that point in time. And without yeah. the back of, is this working? Is the student getting out of this what we want them to get out of it? And even just the banter, it's just not the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the energy is different, all right. And the, yeah. the, the, the feedback response is, is, has changed, you know. I think, you know, we'll definitely we'll come to the whole coaching stuff now in a minute because it's definitely a, a set of skills we want to, you know, tap your brain for because you're, you're quite equipped there. But, I mean, suppose um, 
just for, for people who might know, I mean, what's what's your story? What's your background? Where did you come from? How did you get into Taekwondo? Why are you still there? That oh, sort sure. of stuff. Okay, well, um, I suppose my uh, my background, it goes back to uh, spending too much time at home being uh, kind of nine, eight, nine years of age and uh, uh, not doing the best in the social interactions in school, uh, ending up in fights. Uh, and when I, I say fights, I mean, not so much ending up in fights and like contesting it. <laughs> I mean, being in fights and having my arse handed to me is what I actually mean. Yeah, about. okay. I was a very, very small kid as well. I mean, I, I'm not a big guy now, but I was a very small kid. And right. uh, uh, I moved up from uh, West Clare into Shannon, and Shannon wasn't, it still isn't a big town, but it was big compared to West Clare. Right. And I was thrown into the bottom end of a class, and it's like, well, sink or swim there. And I, I sang for a while. Yeah. So the, uh, uh, the Taekwondo instructor happened to be training with my dad, and I started watching some of the uh, the best of the best, uh, right, right, right. films, a couple of the no retreat, no surrender, all those eighties yeah. power ballads, you know, training yeah. montage thing, you know, slow motion, uh, reverse hooking kicks across the chin sort of stuff. Anything. Yeah. Anything like that. So it was, about, if you like that, there's a fellow at work who teaches that. And that was master Ford. So I was ah, sent, cool. I was sent to train with master Ford in, uh, uh February, 1989 and uh, at the age of nine and uh, I haven't stopped training since that's kind of been the uh, the solid journey but the, uh, I suppose what really changed me was probably around 12 13 years of age when you know we coming up and going for black belts we were red belts at that stage and mm -hmm. you know then that was the time we started helping out with the earlier classes or you know just generally being useful yeah and, yeah 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 it was kind of like oh okay there's something more to this um, and that was kind of when I took an interest in being an instructor and in that or saw that as a potential future for myself. And, uh, you know, the, that kind of continued on until uh, 1999 and uh, 98, sorry. And uh, the uh, Master Ford had left Shannon at that stage. He'd uh, gone off to Cork and like he'd since come back to Clare, but at the time he was in Cork mm -hmm. and uh, an instructor by the name of Kevin Surin had taken over the club in Shannon. Mm -hmm. And he decided he was going to move with his work to Australia. He was emigrating. And he announced this at the summer braiding. And I, uh, you know, he was, uh, Master Ford, who was the examiner, was going to, well, who's going to take over. Mm -hmm. So I think I was the fourth choice. Um, <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> you know, as, as fate would have it, I was the fourth choice. Yeah. Uh, originally, it was supposed to be me and another black belt that were going to kind of take it on together. He never turned up. <laughs> So he failed. Uh, so I ended up taking, you know, four students for a world on the for the first class in, you know, the club had pretty much evaporated at that stage. So yeah, yeah, it was yeah. basically starting from scratch again at that stage. Um, but that I was about a year in when I realized God, I don't know a thing. Like I'm <laughs> lost here. Like I'm trying stuff. I'm doing what I remember being taught, and these people are not getting better. You know, yeah. they should. So I decided I ditched my industrial chemistry degree, which I was studying for at the time, and moved into sport and exercise science. And uh, that was kind of the the start of taking it seriously, if that makes sense. And was that pivot to sport and exercise science something you were thinking anyway, or was it purely because you're coaching taekwondo and it's like I need the skills to do this, which is what I really want to do? Or had there always been a, a sort of a, a want to go that way? Or yeah, so it, it's interesting. I think when I started my degree, more than anything else, I realised this isn't the degree I should have 
been doing. I, I listened mm-hmm. to guidance counselors in school and they had st- kind of the question they asked is, well, what are you good at? And so the answer, of course, was, well, whatever, physics, chemistry. Yeah, math, yeah, yeah. Whatever. I'm getting the best grades in at the time. Yeah, those are the ones that are, you know, but they didn't ask, well, what, what are you interested in? What do you do outside of school? What's, yeah, what do you, what you like? Goes, you know? Um, and they missed that one. Uh, and of course, I didn't really think of myself as being good at PE because I didn't play soccer or uh, hurling or get a football. Yeah. Um, and that was what you did in PE. And so I wasn't good at PE. So that was, the, you know, the extent of it. It's good at a leap test, all right, I suppose. Yeah, yeah I can run, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that didn't come up. So it was while in university in Limerick uh, that really that option started to develop and emerged. And it was like, well okay, this is the way I could actually learn more about what I'm doing and I really enjoy this and I'd like to do more of this. So yeah, yeah I jumped into it. That's great. That's cool. I mean, like, so it seems like you were kind of baptized by fire there as a coach and, uh, you know, how much of your own training did you, like, I mean, you were just gone first degree black belt around then, sort of second degree maybe? or Second degree, yeah. I, I got my second degree. At, like, at my first degree, I was 13, nearly 14. And my yeah. second degree, I was 17. Uh, right 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 oh yeah i was I, I was second degree at the time cool and i mean like so what was the sort of because now and when, when i look at the ita and i look at you know taekwondo in ireland in general i mean the, the standard of competition and stuff like that is really really high and we see you know such really good organization in 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 the associations around the country and especially in the ita which we see on a week in week out basis with you know people like yourself doing this work that, that you do for us and we're really grateful of it and you don't get enough thanks but there you go there's one for you at least exactly. um and of heads involved in making absolutely that absolutely and it's a testament to you so i mean how much uh, like i i kind of posed this question to master man earlier on how much have you seen the the change in 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 the way it was to the way it is and you know what do you think has been the the reason for that Okay, um, so I think the best way I could imagine that is when I was 10, 12, 13, I couldn't imagine, uh, for example, a national team. So one at that point in time was, number one, to, to most people, you did compete, but you didn't see it as a sport. You still had very much, I think, the 1980s movie mindset where it was like this mystical, magical thing that would make you invincible. Um, You'd be, you know, hit and battered and bruised, but somehow you would win at the end and there'd be a moment. You know, and I think the, the, the thing is, there was also a certain amount of hero worship to it. Like, um, uh, you know, we looked up to Grandmaster Heel Show at the time mm-hmm. or, you know, whoever it happened to be. But you distanced yourself from them as well. They weren't people who were just applying the correct training methods over time to achieve a result. They were mythical, almost. They were just right, right. A, a level of competent and, and accomplished beyond no no you can't aspire to that that yeah 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 so we thought of seven eight nine degrees we thought of you know the, the the names that we came across as you know just invincible unreasonable now maybe that's obviously a i was coming at that from being a, a child so yeah yeah, yeah there's no sure. an overlap of that but certainly what it meant is that as coming to adulthood um we was lacking a lot of perspective. We didn't, like, I was seeing an association as I was coming into it at 19, 20 years of age as an instructor that was, you know, uh, they were trying their best, but it was very much small. The, 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 the ambitions were very modest. The, um, you know, it, it was really about just managing the people that were there. It was collaborating so that things like tournaments could happen. 
it was, you know, uh, gradings because nobody was a senior grade. So right. we're always relying on finding a seven degree, eight degree, nine degree from abroad to come in to do the gradings. Yeah, yeah. So it was a different, different animal. And then, you know, I mean, that was that was a problem up until like, you know, only a few years ago, right? Like, I mean, before the senior grades, definitely, yeah. You know, I remember when you were going for six, it was up in Dublin, in you know, and it was there was nobody at eight at that stage. It was before Master Weekly or whatever, and so I, you know, I still remember that, you know, and it's. Uh, it's kind of a weird one for me because it's like, you know, that's a cool experience to have to be tested from outside. And uh, at the same time, it's kind of cool not to have to worry about that because you know who's coming, right? Effectively, every grading I've done has been tested from outside. Yeah. Uh, so my first degree was under Grandmaster Heel Show in 93. Uh, then my second degree was under Grandmaster Howard, uh, who was not outside of the country, but was outside of our association. Right, right. My third degree was under Master Hutton. Uh, my So from Scotland, my fourth degree was at an IIC in Belgium under uh, uh, Grandmaster Tran, Grandmaster Boss, etc. Um, then fifth degree was, uh, again, the IIC, but in Benidorm, uh, and Grandmaster Lan, I think it came on to the committee, Grandmaster Moran, yeah, yeah, yeah. Boss. And then so on sixth degree, which was uh, Grandmaster Land, Grandmaster O'Toole. And then, so that was the first one where there was an Irish component to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but uh, but it was supervised. And so, you know, in terms of testing again, yep, we'll go back abroad. So that's going to be my story, but that's kind of the last generation where that's the case. I was going to say, yeah. Do you think, so do you think having, having, having a test experience like that, that's so varied and has such a wide range of examiners, do you think that that benefits you as a as a as a taekwondo practitioner as opposed to when you like I've tested consistently under the same kind of instructor and now at black belt the same panel of instructors or at least the same syllabus I know what's kind of coming I know how to be, how to explain it and I know where I can lean on and where I don't need to you know there, and I wonder does that difference make you a better or not a better but give you a different set of skills you wouldn't get do you know what I mean there's a resilience needed, you know, to, to cope with that. It's not that the gradings were ever were, were necessarily harder in, in any case or any specific mm. case, but you didn't know what you were going into. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing, right? So the preparing is, well, just do your Taekwondo as many things as you can think of as well as you can and hope it's the right stuff. Yeah, and yeah. inevitably it never was. And there was always <laughs> something that, you know, you weren't 100% ready for that caught you by surprise. Um, but that was, that was, you know, part of it. And then there was always the, the the random thing where you were always waiting for the result, wondering, did it, was it like, I, I didn't break all of my breaks. Does that mm, mean? Or, goose there, yeah, yeah. or like, I didn't get that self-defense technique to work really well, or it didn't go as I planned. Is, is that a problem? Or, you know, uh, and so it was really hard to know. But uh, now I think, you know, okay, things are a little bit more, educational standard there's a rubric everyone knows what they need to do in order to mm -hmm. and there's good and bad to that you know and like you don't want people to be on the the, the floor afraid but you do want them to be nervous <laughs> yeah 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 okay. it, it's striking a fine balance there and i think we still have to get that right i think we've been through phases where it was more right than not and we you know there are other times when you look at it and you'll say okay we could do it a little bit more nerves on this floor here. We could do with people being a little bit more um, tested by certain sections. And, yeah. You know, yeah, that, that's, that's definitely something that I think the variation that we've had over the years has contributed to maybe a wider understanding of more areas where if you know, much like if you're going into a leaving cert subject and you know yeah. 
oh, it's a particular area of it that you're not comfortable with. It's maybe it's not the best for the overall martial artist, you know? Mm, mm. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I've been toying with it in my head myself, you know, especially since the ITA syllabus got changed. Or not changed, the, the manual three came out and yeah. the two options now, option one, option two, right? And uh, yeah. so, like, Bye-bye. I'm... Ca- <laughs> by popular request or by yeah. whatever but i mean i've kind of got taken a weird look on that in that you know for for me if you want to if you want to test now going forward in, in, in our club you'll definitely get everything in option two which is your pattern techniques essentially and you'll get option one as well and if you want to pass you at least need option two and if you want to kind of look up the level and go sort of a grade and above you know then you're going to need both and you know i think it'll give you a nice kind of barometer it'll make the test a million times longer but uh, <laughs> i think it'll give you a good Depends, yeah. I mean, like, uh, it was requested and so it's in there. But myself and Mr. Ryan and the others who use that, like, the option one, we, like, we're not rolling back. Like, it, it's, um, you know, it, it, there, there will be people who will say, oh, no, it's always been done the other way. It was like, well, maybe by you. But, it, you know, for us, it's, we used to do it in some ways. Mm-hmm. And anyone who's listening to it, the, the simple thing was, um, we teach all of the fundamental movements of a pattern the grade ahead of it so yeah, we teach yeah, yeah. Fundamental movements from dosan while people are yellow bells and studying dangon and so what it means for us is when you get to green tag no problem you already know all of the fundamental movements you've practiced them all you need to do is learn the sequence you loop do a little bit of chaining and all of a sudden they have the pattern within a session yeah, so, yeah. and then it becomes more about performance and actually improving this yeah. as opposed to learning your yeah yeah and I, I understand i mean the logic behind it i really like as well but um, it's a direct quote from General Choi. He was like, you know, practice the, the movements individually until they're perfected and before you ever try to include them in a pattern. So it's like, and, and I can't claim credit for having noticed that that was the, in the encyclopedia. That was Master Yeager who kind of, uh, you know, poked that yep. particular balloon and burst it. And Plus like, one. <laughs> right. Okay, that's a good call. We'll give that a try. So we we stole that idea from the Polish Taekwondo Association at the time. And, you know, we've run with it for 10 years now. And like, yeah, I, I'm happy and I'll keep doing it. But if others want to do it a little bit differently, you know, no problem. We will facilitate. Yeah, and that's, that's kind of the cool thing about the association. It's not it's not a it's not a dictatorship, right? You can do it. You know? um, no. I'm curious. Uh, so thinking about how Shannon evolved and where you where you where you got into it. I mean, you're you're a competitively leaned coach, I think. You know, um, you yeah. have. You have a competitive team. You're involved in the national team quite fairly yeah. heavily. You know you've had world champions come out of your stable, which is a credit to the coaching standards that you're putting out there. Were you a competitive guy when you came up through Taekwondo? Were you always in the? Yeah. What, so, was, the, what was the tournament circuit like when you were coming through the grades? Yeah, that's an interesting one. So the from the point of view, was I competitive up to about 13, 14, 15 years of age when uh, Master Ford moved off to Cork? Yeah, I was in competitions regularly. Uh, when Mr. Surin took over the club, then we were probably at two competitions between the age of 15 and 18. Right? Okay, I, right. It went blank. And this is before, I, I like to tell you, it was before the internet, and it was. It was also before having a landline in my house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So even had I, you know, a, a phone number for somebody to check up with or whatever, I, you know, it was, the, the news was not going to get to me if the instructor didn't pass it on. Mm. big deal for me like that that really annoyed me so it didn't annoy me at the time because I didn't know any different it was in, in meeting Mr Ryan then again later like we, we would meet from time to time and it was when he started saying how come you're not going to tournaments anymore it's like 
Well, tournaments? tournaments? Tell me about these tournaments. So, yeah, it turned out there'd been seven and eight tournaments a year and they'd been going to all of them and we'd been going to none of them. And that um, that really annoyed me. So uh, when I took over the club, I started training again towards competition. I started working with Master Cooley mm. and traveling up to River Valley every weekend to train uh, to learn a, a kind of, if you can imagine how bad it would be now to take a, like a, a six-year hiatus from sparring. And come back and then try and jump into the to there to that to that level yeah right yeah what, what what's going on here uh, i'm lost now if you were never there in the first place and then you take that hiatus and you try to come back into it so i was so far out of depth in terms of what i was trying to get people to do mm. it just didn't make any sense it didn't relate to what the game was so uh i spent a couple of years uh traveling up there every weekend um uh, pretty much relearning the trade as far as sparring goes and that was Master Cooley, Darren Smith, Ross Smith, Luke Woods, uh, you know all those guys uh, we were all uh, training together up there and getting back training with Stephen Lyon and so on so that was kind of my actual restarting competition was a 19 year old adult so I, I actually jumped back into competition at that stage having not really been able to compete from 15 through so the well, I suppose maybe even 14 through. So when that started, it was jumping to the deep end. My first competitive match was against Ivan Clement in the Netherlands. Um, he'd just won uh, junior world championships. Obviously, I had no idea who he was. So mm-hmm. he just about KO'd me with a reverse turning kick in that uh, first match. That was brilliant. But survived Soft, that. Soften your cough, as they say. That's it. So... Uh, that was kind of the start of it and everything after that is well that doesn't work right we'll go back and we'll have a look at that well that doesn't work but yeah. I, the really for me the it kind of went hand in hand so i was developing competitors I, we were going to the competitions we were going to everything we could go to we were traveling abroad we were going to every competition we could get our hands on and i was being challenged by my competitors so they were going to competitions facing challenges winning and losing and then that was challenging me as an instructor and a coach to find a way for them to win which always meant going back to, right, what's wrong? Is it our strategy? Is it the tactics? Is it our training? Is it, you know, and you just have to continually evolve until you're actually able to do something. And I remember, like, we went and we didn't have a black belt taken medal at uh, an Italian Open. I went seven times and it was the fourth one before a black belt took a, a medal. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we don't, we were, as I said, we had a thing at the time, we don't count gimme bronzes, okay? So, okay, yeah, right. Section, you took a bronze, that one didn't count, you had to win something. So, it took us four, the, the four championships we went to, Viking Cup was much the same, you know, uh, and, you know, it took us a while to, to get up to speed, but it's a good learning curve. Like, it's, it's interesting you say that because, I mean, it's a, it's a pattern I'm seeing over and over and over again. It's like, you know, I went to tournament, I got hammered, I went to tournament, I got hammered, I went to tournament, I got hammered, I went to tournament, I got a medal. Yeah. And it's kind of like, you know, hmm, there's something in this perseverance, Lark, you know, yeah. uh, it's, 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 it's funny how it works out that way. And it's just, I see it uh, everywhere across all grades, across all categories. I see the same thing happening over and over and over again. The people that are continuously just chopping away are, are rewarded, you know, and it's, yeah. it's like, what's the secret? It's like, just keep going, you know? Absolutely. Um, people are, uh, I've, I've regularly been asked to comment on uh, up to the point of gone to European White Paper Summit on talent identification, uh, you know, to discuss it on behalf of Sport Ireland. And like fundamentally, 
I, I don't believe in it, at least as, in as far as Taekwondo goes. I don't believe you can look at a kid at age 8, 9, 10, 11 and say, ah, mm. here we go, let's focus on this one, this one is talent. Because I certainly wouldn't have picked any of the people who won European and World Championship medals from my at club age. at that age, uh, at 8, 9, 10, maybe even 13. Yeah. Um, the, the one common denominator, and particularly I would say in relation to the seniors, because it's the senior World Championships is a whole other ballgame. The ones who don't get to senior don't win senior world titles, first and foremost, which is for me, there's absolutely no point in massively, you know, it, it is a long term career planning thing that you do. Mm-hmm. So if you want to develop the person fully, you want to spend your time, you know, developing all of their skills around an athlete as best you can. And most of all, you want to keep them always working towards something, striving for something interested, engaged, challenged the whole way through. If you can manage to do that for 10 years and get a person to adulthood, you have a chance of winning a world title. And this is it, right? It's a, it's a 10 year journey. Like that's a long time for anyone to put into anything, and you know, especially when you're nine, you know, we don't do the tots, the, t- the, the ninjas, warriors, tigers, the rest of, we don't do three, four, five, six. So yeah. like our youngest is six. So for them, that's five. a 12 year journey, you know? I know. I mean, and it's just, it's so interesting because uh, I, I'm really kind of in your camp on this one that, you know, I've been reading a lot about, you know, early specialization versus generalists and uh, like the evidence is kind of going like if you specialize early, you know, fine, you could be a, a Tiger Woods, but the odds are you're going to go early and peak out and that'll be the end of you. Whereas the guys that played five or six sports early and they continue to do and then chose to specialize at 14, 15, 16, 17, you know, are the ones that end up going on to kind of elite levels, you know, and it's a. It's it's something that people say to me goes, Oh, you know, he's got football on Tuesday. Like, cool, go play football. We'll see you on Thursday. <laughs> you're you're seven. That's yeah. cool. We'll see you but, there. And if you want to do Taekwondo, you will, you know. I mean Yeah. That's my philosophy on it anyway. I don't know. Well, I, think that, it, I mean, like we have we have people who bear out the example. You know, the uh, I mean, even I can't be held as a pinnacle of success as as a as an athlete and a competitor, but you know, my interest and involvement was definitely sustained because I also played basketball, you know, I, I ran, I, I did athletics, I was a swimmer, I, um, you know, I had other interests so that when, you know, when Taekwondo was getting me down and things weren't going my way, I, I didn't have to, that, you know, it wasn't that I was so invested in that one thing and that crushing personally, it was like, well, okay, I, but, I, but I'm doing okay here, you know, my 800 meter time came down. Yeah, you know, okay. So nice. it, it gives you a little bit of a refuge. You, you don't start to attach your identity to your. Like, I'm the best at one thing, and if it's not that, then yeah, 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 that's interesting. That's, and it's easy to do, particularly as you're developing and you know you don't know who you are and where you are as a teenager, you know that kind of thing. If your identity gets too wrapped up in your achievement in a particular aspect, and that then starts to suffer, it's like it's 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 a tough time. So I think for me, going through as a teenager, it was like, well, yeah, the Taekwondo was you know, I wasn't getting any major success there. You know, I, I graded to black belt. I was tipping away, but there was no competitions. Mm. So at that time it was basketball, it was athletics, it was it was other things. Um, but, you know, again, they took their backseat in turn, you know, as Taekwondo started to become good. But, you know, that's, um, I think that's important for people like that, you know, that, that longer journey view to what we're doing. Yeah, big time. Uh... I, I, yeah, I'm, you've got my vote in that uh, effort, definitely. Um, I think there's way too much emphasis on on eight-year-olds being international athletes, and it's like, nah, you're just gonna wreck that kid. Um, we really don't need it, you know. Yeah. Uh, evidence to show like people, uh, 
like you you're never at such a disadvantage in, in taekwondo um you know okay they, the, the the common pattern is a person gets their black belt at 13 and a half 14 uh, a year or two later maybe they make national team and they get two or three seasons as a junior and you know they build a lot of experience which may stand them going to senior level okay that's one route we've got plenty of other examples too they just you know they're not the most common route and i think that's just the most common route simply because we start people very young we have mm. a age for black belts and so you know it, it's it's not a causation thing it, it you know that isn't the best route to become an international competitor it's just the most common because that's when people get their black belts yeah 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 and do you think you need a good junior pedigree to be a good senior no no no, no. It, i mean and again, you come down to your practicing multiple sports and the rest of it as well. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it, an awful lot of it depends on how you cope with the experience of competition. Um, so yeah, I mean that's a nice you know, whole thing. Yeah, and I mean we do see it, uh, you know, regularly. But I mean, I, I would love to kind of point out some of the people who had no junior pedigree and have done phenomenally well as seniors. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, even you go back to the likes of Jacob Darren Doherty, who kind of came back out of retirement. Uh, in his mid thirties to go ahead and win European Championship medal, you know, uh, and he'd been retired for years. Um, you know, was he good before he retired? Yes. Was he good after he came back? Yes. But the, it was it helps. But yeah, it's still. Um, equally, like uh, uh, Shane O'Rourke, who like yeah, yeah. he he came through all the way with us and Shannon, then spent some time in the Valley, and now he's with uh, Johan de Silva in, in London. But uh, we would. Say uh, the, the story always says like his first individual gold medal as a junior was a week before a week or two weeks before his 18th birthday in a, an Italian Open, um, but he hadn't won an Irish tournament. Right. So got the whole way to like, and, and for those again who wouldn't know, I mean, he's wandering around the place with quite a few uh, world and European medals, individual and team. Like he's got he, he's picked up a fair few over his career. Yeah. But but he. He was training from 10 and 11 years of age. Like he, he had a junior, uh, like, you know, three or four years as a junior black belt. Mm. Um, he was traveling, he was competing, he just wasn't winning. Um, so you'd say, look, is the experience of being in competitions and having that repeated experience that matters more so than the having a good junior record, you know? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, like, this, this kind of segues to another, like, whole coaching thing of, you know, the the transition from method to uh, application and how you go from what you're doing in the venue to actually what you're doing on the mats and um i i mean like it's a, i'd love to segue onto that sort of stuff as to to get your thoughts on on uh, on leading coach on skill acquisition i suppose is a little bit of a a topic i've been doing an awful lot of research on recently um since i spoke with uh, richie ford yeah. last year and he, he really turned me on to this whole constraints led approach and all of this and um it's a it's it's a fascinating thing that the more I deal with it and the more I sort of think about acquiring skills, it's kind of nearly counterintuitive to the way we kind of used to we used to a, a taekwondo class where we all line up and we stand there in the lines and we do our techniques and then suddenly it'll work in practice. The problem um, and like myself and Richie, of course, we chat, we chat about this all the time. But the, the 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 first challenge that you have is as a taekwondo coach, you don't you can't use one way of coaching because you're coaching entirely separate and discrete types of skills. So, you know, your pattern is very much a closed skill. Like it, the environment shouldn't change. You know, the, the footing might be a little different, but realistically, the environment doesn't substantially mm-hmm. change. You're the same performance no matter where in the world you are. 
So you can you can teach that and, and repetition is massively more important there. You want to challenge it, certainly, uh, and you know, there's the mental component to it, but for the most part, it really is about building up the um, the repetitions um, so that the, the you know the, the movement is as accurate to the ideal movement pattern as you know as it can be. Yeah, this sort of automatic response that yeah, but then we have sparring, which is a completely open and exposed game or opposed, I should say, game where you know everything is about the relationship between you and your opponent and the space mm-hmm. and, and the game state. And then the, the same methods don't work to uh, to teach that. So mm-hmm. you know we can break it down and simplify it and get people to look like they're doing well by making it a simple drill or exercise, but it just doesn't translate back into the game. Yeah, and, yeah, and it's something I see so, so much of, you know. I mean, pad, 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 go to the match loss. Yeah. Like, but I but I'm beating the hell out of the pads, you know, and it's like, yeah, but you don't fight pads. Yeah. And uh that was always the argument years ago against breaking, but uh breaking's a whole different concept now. Uh, so you know. Yeah. There's uh this breaking is its own entity and we, we can dig yeah. into that if you want as well. But I'm curious, I mean, like one of the things that I'm really interested in is the 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 split on 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 how you how you coach across across age and grade a little bit, right? I mean, you need a certain amount of repetition and a certain amount of building functional patterns for this chaotic world that you're going to throw people into that is sparring. And yeah. I mean, it's not. It, I, I don't know. I don't think it's enough to kind of go to a bunch of six, seven, eight year old white yellow belts and go, okay, uh, make a ring, and one person has sidekick and the other person has counter punch, and make it happen. You know. Uh, if they haven't got that pattern where they know how to throw a, a technically correct sidekick. And I mean, at what point for you do you find, first of all, do you agree with this? And secondly, do you find if you do that there's a, a cutover point where you're doing more kind of decision-based training as opposed to technical skill training? And do uh, where's that scale go for you in, in Shannon as a club, I suppose? So bizarrely, what you end up with, at least for us, is um, uh, you end up with a kind of a counterintuitive solution, which uh, for us is, uh, you tend to learn psychic as a, a gymnastic movement, almost as in for like a traditional movement for pattern. So you're learning it stationary from a parallel stance. You're learning with a hand on a wall to stabilize and give you balance. We're learning pushing off a wall. We're learning, but it's all from the point of view of we're trying to replicate a movement pattern for the purposes of, we say, hitting the top of the hoop, for keeping it over a woggle, for uh, kicking over a chair for reaching a target for whatever, but you, you're you're setting the mechanical constraints of the movement to develop the shape with lots of hidden repetition. So does it matter if it's over a woggle through a hula hoop and um, you know whilst bouncing on one leg while holding a wall, holding a bar, pushing off, jumping over, whatever? You're hiding the repetitions basically so mm. you don't get bored. So we're doing that an awful lot at the early stage to develop a pattern of the psychic. And then all the changes when you get into your game is now you're going to be doing it from a moving or in a moving environment and you're trying to make that match. The in-between step there when because it's going to be a challenge and because you know you you want to improve the type of a psychic that's thrown in sparring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, that's where your pads play a role. That's where having a moving target, having something that's more rhythmic. Uh, because again, rhythm is a teacher too. So, you know, we can we can what we're doing is uh, increasing the amount of um, representativeness and the amount of variation in the drill as we go. So at its base level, we're standing at a wall, we're stabilizing against the wall, we're lifting a leg through a particular pattern, we're extending the foot. Um, 
and that happens and it's repeated and it's the same every time because we want to give them a pattern that they can latch onto so they know it's correct. And with that, it's almost like you're doing operant conditioning, Pavlov style, okay? So that's the, where you want to kind of give them the, the little nod or the click or the tap on the shoulder when they get it right. And you reinforce or there's something happy or, you know, how would you say, something rewarding and, and comfortable and enjoyable that comes from you have a, a great performance. And you want to discourage the, the poor performances. Mm. Now, that doesn't mean you go and you give out to them, but it can mean that your foot falls through the hoop or you're, you know, it's just you, you meet a condition and it's not what you're going for and you change roles or whatever it happens mm -hmm. to be. But we'll build that until, yeah, the psychic kind of works. And then we can add in rhythm and we can add in, because rhythm then challenges it a little bit. We can add in change of distance, that challenges it a little bit. We can have, you know, a, a, a choice reaction challenges it a little bit. And, but you'll move over and back between those. And what you, all you're trying to do is each class is evaluate, right, where is it right now? How do we bring it on a bit further? And yes, the ultimate goal is that that happens with the decision that they, you know, that there's a, uh, they can see what's happening in the ring. There's a perception of the environment. They know the game state. They know where they are in the ring. They know what the opponent is doing and how they're moving. They have a plan when they throw that sidekick for, am I looking to create movement? Am I looking to double this up? Am I looking to land out of this and throw another shot? What do I expect my opponent to do? And all of that should be um, almost intuitive because they practiced it so many times and made the decision so many times. Our job then as coaches is how do we help the game be the teacher by setting up the game the right way? Really for, for us, for myself, for Richie, for those of us who are talking in this space an awful lot, the big thing comes down to one of two things. Are you learning the skill in a kind of a, just like a, in a way where the situation draws forth the correct choice? Or mm. is a cognitive understanding of it needed? So that's the constraints-led approach versus the games for understanding or game sense approach. Yeah. And really all we're talking about is, do we believe there has to be a cognitive understanding of what they're doing? Do they have to understand what they're trying to achieve? And I think that's like that's where you'll get some small variations in it. That's where questioning would come in more in the game sense, whereas the self-discovery or guided discovery of the constraints-led would be a bit different. It's it's a fascinating it's a fascinating sphere, yeah. um, uh, the whole skill acquisition because you you can take it out of out of sport and you can apply it to to any any skill. You know, I'm I'm oh, writing absolutely. software in my spare time and I'm going, do you know how I could figure this out? Uh, you know, and suddenly you see the coach brain applied and you know colleagues look at you like you have got two heads and then suddenly stuff works and it's amazing. And how did you know? It's like ah, you know, it's tricks. Thanks. But uh, it's uh, yeah, it's it's a really interesting one. I mean, just to to sort of talk a little bit about about the national team and the ITA and how this is how this has evolved and where you see it going. I mean, national team, like you said earlier, there was no national team. It didn't happen, right? Yeah. We've had huge, huge success in sure. Ireland in in Taekwondo. No, no, through the work that you guys have all put in over the years. And I'm just like, I'm curious to know where where this came from, where and why you think. Why do you think it it came about, and where do you think it's going, and where you? Because we're kind of in a transitionary stage, with a lot of people kind of have moved off, and they're in other spheres now, or whatever. But where, where's, 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 what's the future got for international taekwondo in Ireland? Yeah, I mean, we face some challenges now. Uh, I would think that the biggest challenge that we actually have is that um, we're a victim of our own success in sparring. 
where yeah. the reality I think is around the country at the moment that the majority of time and effort spent on uh, uh, it, it's a perfect storm kind of thing. So we've been very successful in sparring, which results in people looking to sparring as where we're going to be successful in the future. Um, and that's not just national team coaches, that's that's coaches in general, athletes who come through the team, people who go to competition. Uh, if you paused in 2009, you'd have said, well, the team pattern, female power breaking and special technique, that's our go-to, because that's what we were doing well in, you know, at that point in time, early 2009 and before. But simultaneously, the ITF rules have changed so that now you have 10-person teams mm-hmm. who can afford to specialize more, you have two people per category at senior, again, people are, yeah, and three at junior. So there's you're more likely, if you do specialize, to still be able to be selected, whereas previously people had to be multidisciplinary to be able to give themselves a fair shot at being selected somewhere along the line. And the result of that is twofold. First of all, the standard in the, in the individual disciplines is higher mm-hmm. because you're not dealing with multi-adventures who are doing, in this moment, pattern. You're dealing with as pattern specialist who's doing pattern. Yeah, okay. And potentially you're dealing with 127 of them, you know, in a, in a, in a first three section. So coming through that now requires people to individualize, put in an awful lot more time and effort to be able to get through the, the rounds. Where sparring has at least the benefit of two, two things that kind of help us in Ireland. The first thing is there's more medals available. Um, just off the fact that we say particularly in junior, in junior, you've got three potential grades, and we basically don't have third degrees. So yeah, you're okay. two, six people uh, uh, for male and six people for female who do individual pattern. And you have, at the same time, 12 weight classes, potentially three people for weight class, uh, you know, between male and female. So 30 mm. versus 12. So you've got three times as many people can be involved in the team at a junior level at any point in time through sparring. So that compounds everything. So right now, we're looking at, well, how do we focus our efforts to make sure that we really focus on the individuals who've chosen to specialize, who are working on those disciplines, and giving them the extra coaching time and practice to maybe see some reward, so that other people can see, look, that's actually how it's to be done. You're going to have to put some time into it, focus on a discipline, see some reward. So right now, we have... um, we have one specialist in special technique and we hopefully have more coming soon. We have four or five specialists in patterns and mm. hopefully we'll develop that into the future. But for right now, like, unfortunately, the European Championships in Slovakia is cancelled. Yeah, yeah. Team, what can we do? But we wouldn't have had any pattern teams. Mm. So we were one short at male, one short at female. You know, we, we were just short. Um, and that will need to be picked up again. Uh, and I, but I do see that as coming back up. Other than that, though, like looking at like the, the very disheartening part about it being cancelled, we're looking at our sparring competitors this year and going, wow, we really have a superb group here. Like we're looking mm-hmm. at an exciting transition and you've seen your team. Yeah. Um, you know, we have some guys who are coming up as junior world champions from Germany, uh, you know, moving into uh, and junior medalists from Germany that are moving through to a senior team. And um, we have like very exciting junior male and female teams. You know, the senior female team is still very strong. Yeah. Um, you know, they have a strong core to it and they'll be looking to add girls to that team, you know, coming up from junior over the next little while. It's looking very strong still. But 
you know, it is still transitional, as you said, because it was always going to be a case. We knew it going into 2017. And even in terms of me stepping down as head coach after 2017, it was, we knew it would require a new energy and a new, mm-hmm. um, a, a clean slate basically to rebuild from there because we knew we were facing retirements. We knew we were going to have people who would say, right, that's, that's me. I've, I've done my thing. I've done I've that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we knew that was going to be the case. And so, you know, the, the best decisions I think were, were made. And, you know, we have a slightly different coaching panel now. We have a very new team um, and we'll build up again. Like it, again, it could be next year, it could be the year after before we will feel like, right, this is the best that we can put on the floor. But it's, you know, it's definitely looking very positive. It's great, a great energy, a great enthusiasm. There's a, like, I, I have to say, like, from a coaching point of view, so satisfying the last few coaching sessions before we uh, can't, had to cancel them. Mm-hmm. like the, the huge positive effort and energy and people making really good supportive positive choices in terms of how they were participating in the sessions it's just really encouraging so yeah we're looking forward to getting back to that hopefully the mm-hmm. world yeah and as as we all wait to watch and see how you do because it's always it's always a great binder for the for the country to see that and the, the teams around the country to see i love watching the, the updates come through and the, whenever we know the national team are away it's so yeah, yeah. i wish he's continued success on it you know um hopefully. But as I said, challenges. Uh, but I know speaking to national team uh, coaches from other parts of Europe, like in particular, it, it's a challenge for a lot of countries actually. Um, mm-hmm. You know, other than the, we we'll say for the countries who are selecting in the way that we are, where it's you know multiple selection events and that kind of thing, um, they're finding it difficult, uh, uh, to, particularly to find those disciplines, the pattern or the patterns, power, special technique, and. You know, it's uh, it's an unusual one because as I've got uh, some great jumpers and that coming through the club, but they also have to be tall. Uh, you know, so at least you know to the game, yeah, yeah, yeah. At average or above height, um, and that's difficult. But we've kind of started now from even a young age. We are focusing a little bit more on breaking and uh, uh, you know going back to having that well-rounded, you know, yeah. multidiscipline approach. For well, sure. Discipline, pattern sparring, power and special. That's kind of what I mean. But yeah. Yeah. And we, we, we're doing the same with, even with our youngest classes, they they have a special technique class and it, it is glorified jumping over pads with a little target to touch it. Maybe, you know, technique, I don't really mind, but it, like, this is part of what you do. And now suddenly when they're blue belts, okay, is the spec taking the turn? Yeah, of course I'll do it. Why wouldn't I? As opposed to, how do I do this? What do I do? I just jump and kick it. Okay, uh, let's see that. Red flag, did I win? Uh, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. so it's it's part of the it's part of the culture. And, you know, again, even like you said, with the breaking as well, that's something we're trying to figure a way to do kind of cleanly and safely. And, you know, but uh, we'll worry about that in the future, yeah. I suppose. I mean, it's an interesting one. I see clubs and countries around Europe that consistently turn out good teams. Do you know what I mean? And do you think there's that moment you hit where it's like, okay, we have this kind of flywheel effect now where we're just rolling teams out and we always have every category filled with competitors. Like, I mean, the likes of Norway and Poland are constantly turning out, you know. Poland and to a fair degree Russia have done that consistently for a very long time. Uh, There's a critical mass that you need to get to before that's a thing. I, to be honest, I think the biggest uh, challenge that we have in Ireland on that front, particularly when it comes to senior, Mm. is uh, people going to university and not training. So, yeah. uh, I would say, you know, I mean, we're particularly vulnerable to it where, where we are, you know, in yeah. Shannon or Stephen and Quinn, uh, there's no university in, uh, in Clare. So 
you know, maybe someone will go to Limerick and still come back and train. But with public transport, that's really difficult to do. Yeah, so yeah. What we tend to find is that the majority of our students, like at least four fifths of them that get go to senior, they go to college in Galway or at Lone or somewhere and they're gone. Um, yeah, right. So really the clubs that are based in around Cork and Dublin who who where the students tend to stay at home yeah. and new to college, they have a better chance of staying there through the seniors. But I think that's a huge challenge for us. It's like, how do you retain people, at least for the first four years of being senior? You know, and, and then if you start losing people because of careers and marriage. Yeah, 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 yeah and all those things and wonderful those are really good reasons to to not be competing but the uh but like being in school is not a great reason it's a perfect time to compete so yeah yeah i know right we'd love to have people for at least the, the those next three or four years after uh finishing secondary school um and we don't see that enough uh but and predominantly it is the ones from dublin and cork who make it for those next four years uh, but we'd like to, we, we'd love to see a little bit more of that. And I don't know if there's something we can do to support that. As yeah, it's, a strange, it's a difficult problem. It's a wicked problem. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not often we see them from Waterford or from, from Clare or, you know, like we, we've had our few, but you know, it's, it, it is difficult. Mm. Um, I wonder, does that sort of segue onto how we're doing coaching and coach training in, in, in the country, around the country? I mean, We've done great work with the intros and level ones, and now level two coming on spec, I believe, as well. Yeah, it's. I mean, I think that's a it's it's a it's a fantastic uh, sort of feather in the cap of the association there, that there's uh, this this facility there to upskill your people from you know like kind of blue belt sixteen. It's like yeah, here you go. Like I mean, I have people coming through the club that are gonna go to black belt. They'll be seventeen, eighteen. They'll be going to college. They'll have their qualified. They'll have the level one. You know and they'll mm-hmm. go teach taekwondo for, for hopefully for me and they can make some money while they're in college you know um but... yeah well yeah i mean from that point of view i've had seven students now uh complete their coaching qualifications through level one coach at the club and effectively have their college tuition paid the whole way through yeah so you know it's it's nice you know it's a, it's a nice thing to be able to do you know and but the like from the perspective of starting a coach education program from scratch, I mean, you can't do it without the support of the government agencies that are involved. Yeah. But it's like I genuinely believe it's made a massive difference to the people that are coming through the uh, you know the clubs because I, I go back to I I did it the old-fashioned way, which is you do what your instructor did, uh-huh. and so other than that, you try and find the mentor, which I did. Like so, I mean. I followed what, you know, Master Ford would have done in his time. Uh, and obviously he's moved on since then. But I like, so at best I was imitating his former self. Yeah. And uh, so I, I was kind of teaching what he did in the early nineties, but I was doing it in the early two thousands. Right. So, you know, I was 10 years behind even what he might've been doing, but that's what I had been doing or that that's what I, I started with. Mm-hmm. And then I saw it and found a mentor. So I had Master Cooley for, you know, however many years that I was following. And, but even at that, he was also, you know, seeking mentors in Master Hutton, uh, Kia Rombout, um, you know, we had uh, Master Willie Van der Mortel, you know, we had Master Yedut, we had, you know, we went and sought that out, yeah, yeah. We saw people. And it's not that what we're doing in the coach education is going to replace all of that kind of thing. We still want and need mentors and we still need a community of coaches to work on, but, but we're trying to build that. That's the whole element of it. 
So we're just trying to, can we shortcut the first bumbling steps and the insecurity, mm. uh, the not knowing and the not knowing who to call and the not having a place to start from, to grow from, and basically provide people with at the very least the ABCs and the how to read and the, you know, uh, how to apply yourself, what to study and give them a few steps and then, okay, now get someone to help you. Now have someone you can pick up the phone to, to, you know. Now you have topics to go research. Now you can kind of, yeah. It also gives us a common language. So we can sit down over the phone. We can talk about representative design. We can talk about, you know, uh, and that's great. And we have have great conversations with people throughout the year on things like that. And like, okay, well, this isn't working. What could I try? Or I've, I've tried this and this and this, what's left. And sometimes the answer is, well, you said you tried this, this, and this. I'd never thought of trying number two there. I'm going to give that a go, but you can try this in the meantime. Mm. And, you know, the more we share, the more we know. So it's, I think that's the uh, the wonderful part about it. So, I mean, for myself now, I think I have delivered on 15 introduction to coaching courses or 17. Or I, I have to check. But, you know, quite a few. Yeah. The course is 12 years old now. And we're, we're, we're actually, uh, you were saying, we're, we're writing the level two. We're actually... Uh, currently, all of the coach developers are rewriting the intro. Uh, so that's mm-hmm. the next one that runs would be a, a pilot of the new program. And even that is like when we started, most of the people who were going to do an intro course were instructors. They had been yeah. teaching for, in some cases, 20 years. And we, we, well, I suppose we needed a lot of people to get it as well, right? The- yeah, yeah. Well, it was just putting us all on the same page to start mm-hmm. with. It was kind of saying, well, look, do we can, can we all figure out you know it because it's very hard if the instructors didn't ever go through the system they don't know what their students are going through that they're sending them on this course and so the language is going to be challenging confusing things that they do they won't be prepared to explain why they do it differently and so on so we had that advantage i suppose but we got when seeing as everyone has gone through it now when the students are going through and they're going back to the instructor the instructor goes oh yeah yeah i remember that yeah. that's what this is about and this is why we do it differently here or this yeah. is what we do instead or this is what we added to that this is what i found from yeah now we're mostly getting you know well 16 to 55 60 but blue belts to black belts who have three or four years of taekwondo experience yeah. or five yeah. years of taekwondo experience and maybe no coaching experience so that's our new normal so what it means is for us in terms of uh, the, the outputs are from the course um, it means that we're spoon feeding a little more. We are really are introducing them to coaching, mm. we're really giving them worked examples more and helping them to work through them rather than challenging. And, you know, and so there will be, um, there still be group tasks and discussions and innovation, but you'll be working from the basis of if nothing else, then do ABC. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas I think a lot of the coaches would have gone through it initially, we assumed an awful lot of knowledge, uh, you know, or assumed at least a working knowledge of the, you know, how to line up a class, start some things and get something going. You might not have all the technical details, but you've got something where now we're kind of saying, we assume you know nothing. <laughs> so step one is, you know, here we yeah. go. Cool. I mean, I mean it, it really is. clubs that we look at now, um, they're well, a lot of the clubs are well established. They have multiple black belts in the club. Like once upon a time, instructors didn't have black belt students very much. Like, you know, some of them did establish it, ones. It is. It's, 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 it's definitely one of the things I've noticed. We're in this weird place where we're kind of fought four and a half, five years. So we don't have any black belts that have come through yet. Mm. Um, you know, so 
we have people helping us in our class that are blue belts you know we have people that are, are, are coming through that grade but like we feel that not having black belts thing you know yeah. if ever if ever anyone is sick because we run through two classes parallel we need both instructors there so if one of us is sick we're, we're goosed straight away and right. you know we need to call somebody and say hey I, I will pay you to come teach this class tonight can you come please or else I have to cancel uh, you know so this this happens sometimes you know not often but sometimes uh, and but it, it, we feel the pinch then when it comes time to go to tournament you know it's like okay. well we have one black belt okay. and we have no umpires or no coaches and you know we have 20 people and okay i go sit in the chair so you know and yeah. it's a it's a it's a weird one it's a it's a strange one because although i suppose it's it's changed a little bit with sort of 14 to 17 moving to sunday um there's less kind of you know we have a couple of seniors that are in the you know seniors they're not they're not 18 they're uh, so they, they can handle themselves they don't necessarily need a coach but it's that it's that it's that 14 to 17 group that are kind of in that sort of high greens low blues early reds they're the kind of ones you wouldn't mind standing there and going, okay, it'd be nice to sit on the chair for them, you know, but you have to do your thing. I mean, there's no, there's no umpires, there's no tournaments. So, but um, it's one of those ones that, uh, yeah, I'd be, I'd be happy when we have a few grown, uh, you know, it'd be yeah. nice. Well, um, we, had a, we had the other side of it during the year where we realized that, you know what, most people who've, who've coached for the last couple of years, uh, or we say most the experience that our students would have had of coaches were four degree and higher. <laughs> so right. the issue with that is, um, we, we came to the conclusion before the start of this year, hey, our red belts, they do nothing. They're, it's not like years ago where you would have had to do a lot more instructing. You'd, ha you'd have to be a lot more involved in the club before you went to black belt. And we decided that that was a huge problem. We were fixing that. So mm. now kind of getting them to where like, okay, our red belts need to help. They need to assist. They need to come back and do things and following through all the black belt grades. But it was just for a while there we were kind of spoiled where you know maybe you had to put up with a third degree you know but shame um, <laughs> you know, but for the most part like it was myself and jamie and rachel and ronnie and yeah. you know it was just like yeah it's not needed so um yeah it's just a change of environment but it, each one has its strengths and weaknesses so at least your blue belts and red belts might arrive to black belts much more confident in their knowledge of their basic technique their terminology you know their why and their wherefore whereas a lot of ours are they're still just really copying and they're, they're practicing, but they haven't had to figure out the background knowledge that. Actually yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. It's, a, it's a cool problem. Um, I suppose last question, if you have time, sure. um, I, I'm curious, I mean, take, take one though, as a martial art is seen as a kind of traditional martial art. And we often get a lot of flack for no, that sparring is just tippy tappy nonsense. You don't really hit each other. And, you know, like I always say, there's no good way to get kicked in the face, regardless of what martial art you're doing. Um, but I think I'm curious about uh, how you think Taekwondo stays relevant in the modern game of martial arts, where we see so much around kind of MMA and other martial arts that are very much in vogue and very much. And I'm asking everyone this question because I want to get the sort of the general consensus or what people think. How do we how does Taekwondo as a traditional martial art sort of attract new people, especially new new senior people? I mean, we're, we're, we're grand for attracting kids, I think, but uh, harder to kind of get teenagers and adults involved, I think. Yeah, I think, like, if you look at the image that's that's there, okay, why is Taekwondo attractive to kids? Well, because structure, discipline are things that appeal to parents. It's cleaner looking than, say, you know, to some degree MMA, but not mm -hmm. Jiu-Jitsu or, you know, any of the traditional, in a, a dobok, a gi, a, uh, you know, whatever, martial arts will tend to appeal more to um, uh, to parents of children than a, you know, a, a cage, 
you know, is your <laughs> nature of it. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, that isn't true for the adults or for, you know, a, a lot of the other ones are looking at it and going, oh my God, do I have to stand in lines and wear the pajamas and, you know, bow and all the rest of it? And it's like, well, yeah, you do. So <laughs> I think the, the positioning of Taekwondo, like the, the areas that we've seen growth, yeah, the kids are definitely still a busy area, but I think we're going to have phenomenal competition across not just the martial arts, but the entire sports sector because everybody, but everybody, is getting better at what they're offering for, and I mean that like in terms of the resources, in terms of the coaching, in terms of the, you know, how competition is structured, in terms of like we were once upon a time, 15 years ago, we were probably ahead of the curve. Now we're struggling to keep up as the mm. big sports put big money behind it and on they go. Um, everyone's kind of more educated on how to better deal with kids now. Um, so I think that's a hugely competitive area and it will be a little bit, bit more difficult, except that as of yet, for certain learning difficulties and uh, uh, people with different abilities, Taekwondo is, is one of the, a range of sports and activities that's been singled out as well. That would be useful and cheaper than physiotherapy. Go there. So there's an element of that. And I don't say that in, in, in any way facetiously. It's just that that is a reality. We're seeing people referred to us by clinicians. And in a lot of ways, that can be very good. But it, it puts on us the decision of, do we set up a separate class for particular areas mm -hmm. of additional needs? Or do we have a social model of integration, you know, include people where possible directly into our mainstream classes? And the answer is always, well, it depends. So it depends on, you know, what we do. But if you're talking about, you know, a commercial model, then it might be more beneficial to have, in some cases, a class that's a special needs class where you can more appropriately deal with uh, people, but also facilitate putting on an extra class. I actually think, and I've been saying this for quite a while, a, a, a big area is you know, kind of almost skip past what uh, triathlon and the gyms, etc., have done. And you go right past the, the 30 to 40 years group and you go to the 40 plus. Mm. And I think that's an, a, a different area for us entirely where everything suddenly becomes relevant again. Because, you know, I think Taekwondo suffers from, uh, you know, all of the general skills that are learned as a child that are so useful and beneficial to children, all the general motor skills, uh, the coordination, the, the, the learning skills that go with following a progressive syllabus, that go with learning a traditional martial art, um, that are so useful, the perseverance, the sticking with it, the, like the attention to detail, the concentration and focus, the, the learning, making friends, losing friends, you know, all those things that come with it. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. And that then kind of loses relevance somewhere between the teenage, you know, not completely, but it becomes less important between the teenage years and early adulthood where you've either got that or whatever, but then when you move past that into older adulthood and 40, I hope isn't older adulthood, but I'm kind of starting that as maybe the earliest possible age there, right. being 41 myself. But from there on, it's like, well, that's a time when it's tougher again to make new friends. That's a time when, you know, a lot of social interactions and things are very set and very established and maybe you can do it shaking up a bit. It's where fitness is, it, you know, you've stopped training in whatever was your main chosen sport for a particular period of time if you were doing that. Yeah. Fitness training is now very isolated and solitary for a lot of people. It's yeah. why it became so popular. You're now doing it with a group. Um, triathlon is doing very well. Individual sports like walking, uh, you know, running, cycling, swimming, etc. do very, very well. 
And I think that's an area that Taekwondo could offer something uh, different as well, where depending on the angle that you take in it, that kind of almost rediscovering physical literacy and joy of movement and, you know, almost the gymnastic side of things as well yeah. could be good, you know? I, I think you're definitely onto something with that. I think uh, I've seen older adults come back in and uh, to, to physical activity and stick with it and they go they go through to black belt and it's madness. Yeah. I, and I've seen, uh, especially, I don't know if you get this or, at all in your club, but we get, you know, parents watching their kids and they go, I'm to hell with that, I'm having a go. And, you know, in they get. And then they're the ones that end up staying with you for however long and they go on to... It certainly has happened. Uh, you know, it, it and, and I definitely have still now, I've, you know, I, I, I can think of at least three parents off the top of the bat, you know, top of my head that they're training away, their kids are involved as well, the parents are training. I couldn't tell you which one will last longer, the parents or the kids, but in some cases it has been like that. But, uh, but yeah, definitely. And one of the things that we would love to do with our club uh, over time um, is expand to better cater to that again. But like we've, we had, we've had times in our adult classes were very, very busy. Um, mm -hmm. But, it, you know, it's moved and trends have changed and people are, you know, we find the same people who would have done that 10 years ago probably aren't going, they'll pick a different activity now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, trends, fashions, things move. So you've, you have to reposition yourself and you have to look for, right, who, who is this the best fit for? And also look at, well, do we change? And like, that's a, that's a challenge for us because mm. it's not always easy to change Taekwondo to suit the, the audience, you know? Yeah, yeah. You change the filter on it, but not necessarily the core product. Yeah, I mean, it is, it kind of is what it is, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a few things like that. It's, um, yeah, it's an interesting one. It's a, it's a nice problem to have, I suppose. I'd rather not, you know, then sort of be just sort of stuck doing the same thing. It's nice to say, well, we have to stay sharp and inventive or else we, we become irrelevant, you know? So, um, yeah, I mean, that's cool. That's, it's really cool. Like just, there's so much more I could, I could chew your ear about, especially I never got a chance to chew your ear on the, the international coaching conference that you organized this year. It was a super, yeah. super event. I mean, do you plan to do another one? Yes. Uh, we, I, currently we're working with the ITF coaches committee to establish a process whereby all, uh, any country can apply to host one. Um, so we're pretty much trying to standardize up. This is what the offering needs to be. And this is what the contract needs to be with the mm. ITF. Mm. So we're working through that at the moment. We hopefully over the next few months, we'll have that finalized with the ITF. Um, but we would hopefully, or we would hope to host one in 2021. Now, so obviously we have to, this year is a bit of a write off. We would have been yep. hoping to do something before the end of this year, but I think not in Ireland, but uh, worldwide. Uh, I think this year is going to be more or less a write-off for launching new big things. Yeah, yeah. But uh, the pilot has been done. We've had that in Ireland. We'd hope yeah. we hope they have to run two to three worldwide every year. Right, and well, we look forward to it definitely. That's for sure. Um, okay. Uh, fancy a few rapid fire questions before we quit? Ah, sure. Come on. Okay, cool. Come on. Favorite technique? Uh, jumping front kick. Uh, favorite pattern? Uh, moon moon. Least favorite pattern? Oh, uh, say John. Least favorite kicking technique. Uh, ooh, least favorite kicking technique. Uh, high twist and kick. <laughs> um, what would be your go-to hand technique? Uh, it's gonna have to be the punch. Mm -hmm. Got the punch. Um, you have three boards to break. What technique do you pick? 
Oh, that's nice. Uh, everyone's going to say sidekick of some description. If it's not going to be a sidekick, it's going to be a jump back sidekick. Jump back. <laughs> okay, we can't <laughs> kick it with the sidekick. You may as well jump and spin. Yeah. Cool. yeah. Um, what else can I ask you? <laughs> no, I won't. I'll stay off that one. I'll just get in trouble. Anyway, look, Mr. Byrne, it's been a fantastic conversation. It's been really enlightening. I'm sure everyone listening will have got loads out of this. I've had, I've had great crack, and uh, we really look forward to you getting back out in the mats as soon as possible when all of this blows yeah. over. And yeah. we will definitely look forward to bringing you up to up to Carrie to do a session with us at the future if you'd have us or if you'd come up and you'd be so kind. We'd of course appreciate that. Um, but yeah, look, please look after yourself and all family as well, and uh, we look forward to you to continued successes in the future. Find yourself, stay well. Indeed, sir. Rock and roll. Best Thanks for it. taking the time to talk to me. Bye bye. Take care. Bye bye bye.